Uh, let, me, uh, let me get us started with a couple of things here. First of all, we're, we're so glad that you're gathered together with us. Um, every opportunity that we have to worship the Lord is a, is a joy. Um, I, was, I was very grateful today. I was, uh, this is the first time I've got to hear Aiden and Emily lead worship. You know, what a, way to go, guys. Nice job leading worship for us. Aiden, who has spent the last two years buried under cables and microphones and uh, cameras and stuff all in the back, you're like, hey, why don't you just come on up here and lead us in worship? Okay, I guess he can just do everything. So he gets the official title of being able to do everything. And, uh, and the, the Welkers as well, you guys leading us. I don't know if you know Andy, who is leading the, 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 uh, from the keyboard today, usually plays the bass in the band, but Andy has actually been a part of our office staff and has been helping uh, cover some bases there as well, and so we're uh, welcoming her. I'm stealing my thunder for part of the family meeting tonight, but anyway, uh, we're going to be talking through a couple of those pieces, but good things. We're very grateful. Um, as we come to our last Sunday in this Rebuild series, I want to just begin with what, what I found to be kind of an interesting story, and I think will kind of help us kind of get anchored on kind of our landing place where we want to wrap up, which is ultimately at the communion table here in just a little bit. Uh, so imagine if you uh, built your dream house. Has anybody built a house, you know, built your dream house, and you just said, this is going to be like a great experience, and uh, maybe you've had that experience of actually kind of creating the house, you got everything kind of the way that you wanted, you hired the right people, did all the right things. So I was reading a story about a couple from Missouri who they were building their dream vacation. It was about a $700,000 beachfront house, and they, they got everything taken care of, hired all of the people. The work was done. They're getting pictures back. All of the stuff is looking so great. They can't wait to actually put foot you know, in, in the door. And they found out literally after it was done, three stories, ocean view, perfect house. It was built on the wrong lot. Can you even imagine this? I mean, this is a new story. They talked about right house, wrong place. They literally built it. And then everyone was kind of like, we're not sure really what the protocol is here because the people who own the lot don't really want to pay taxes on an extra $700,000 thing that they didn't ask for, necessarily need, or want at this time. And so there's some confusion. I don't actually know how you fix this. The title simply said, builders are trying to fix the problem. <laughs> if there's ever like a moment where you're like, I'm just glad that's not my problem. That would be, I mean, wow, that would be a problem to try to figure out. And I don't know exactly how they resolve that. But today, what we're going to talk about after what has been a few months now of rebuilding, talking about experiencing God's restoration, and we've talked about sort of the logistical and practical, as well as some very deeply personal elements of restoration and rebuilding that we believe the Lord has desired to do and is doing uh, we're concluding today this series with the, with the idea uh, that really responds to the, the calling of Christ in Matthew chapter 7. And this is the end of his uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, his longest recorded sermon uh, in Scripture. And he, he gives us these words that essentially say, you know, where you build matters. You know, so this news story is a little bit of a sort of tongue-in-cheek example. Like, literally, you don't want to build in the wrong plot. But Jesus is saying, you don't want to build your life on foundations that are not of eternal value. And, and this is actually, I think if you're going to talk about rebuilding for three months, this is an important place for us to land. My hope and my prayer 
is that every person listening to this message, by the time we come to the communion table, would say, I actually have a clear understanding of saying, I know what it means to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because these are sort of churchy words that we say a lot. I'm hoping to put some sort of practical understanding to that today. And I think that's a good place for us to end this series. Because really, it's what launches us forward into the areas in which we are going to. So Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles or phones, flip, flip over there. Uh, I'm going to read verses 24 to 20, uh, 29 as our primary scripture here today. So Jesus says, after this sermon, here's how he concludes. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell... And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And in verse 28, it says, When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Holy Spirit, just help us. Would you just help us to be heart ready uh, to meet you at the communion table today and shape our lives in the way that you desire to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to look at three things with you today. Uh, the first one is simply Jesus' closing statements, Jesus' closing words, our new beginning. Uh, and the reason I say it this way is that after Jesus has done a lot of teaching, and you can go back through and you can read the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's so much of kingdom living in this passage of Scripture. It represents Jesus' longest recorded sermon, as I mentioned before. It was likely this message recorded in the Gospel of Matthew that was a summary of the messages that Christ spoke likely many times and in various places. So while we kind of get this in our mind that like he said this one time, Matthew wrote it all down, this was probably something that he said continually and in many places uh, to many various people and then compiled by Matthew. Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount has been called the authoritative message of kingdom life for his disciples. And that, that should get our attention, right? Because if you are in Christ today or you, you build your life around the notion of being called a disciple of Christ or a follower of Christ, it is kingdom living that Jesus preached. And so we've done a whole series on being kingdom people and kingdom-minded in the kingdom way that Jesus talked about. There is, in this sermon, the notion of the presence and the power of God's kingdom lived out in everyday world. And I think that's, again, so beautiful and practical for us because as a follower of Christ, what you are called to is to be a conduit of the kingdom of God lived out through ordinary people in the everyday life. But it's a high calling that we have on our lives. This is our calling as much today as it was for the disciples uh, in Jesus' time. And here's what I love about this sort of new beginning that Jesus is calling to. He says, I'm going to preach to you, I'm going to teach you all of these things. And then his sort of definitive thing is, I want to call you at the end of this message 
to a new beginning. We just said a couple of weeks ago, we celebrate that we are part of God. We have a God of new beginnings. Well, this is Jesus' way of saying, I've got a new beginning for your life, but it comes with implementing the things that I'm teaching you. So there's a critical question that is both beautifully simple and hauntingly profound. And the question is this, what is the foundation of your life? Like, what are you actually building on and building toward? What are you actually developing? The sum of the decisions and the, the pathways that you take and the investments of your life are, are building toward something, but what is that foundation that you're building on? That's the critical question. And I say it's beautifully simple because this is literally a story that you learn in Sunday school when you're a little kid. You know, the man, wise man built his house on the rock and the house, you know, that, we sing this song and we do that kind of stuff. But it's, it's hauntingly profound because essentially what it means is you can go through your life work and your life experience and even from the teachings of Christ can come to the place of saying, Lord, Lord to him. And he looks at you and says, I never knew you. I'm very careful not to point when I say that. <laughs> I never knew you. <laughs> He's not talking to me. <laughs> That's hauntingly profound, right? I mean, that we could actually invest our lives in ways that we think are building on the rock of Jesus' teaching only to find that we have not come into a relationship and communion with the Savior. So this is high stakes kind of stuff. Simple enough for a child to understand, but hauntingly profound for us. So Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, build his house on a rock. I think what we see here is a calling. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. There is a calling from understanding to implementation, right? There's a calling from not just simply getting the teachings of Christ or the words of Scripture, but then actually being called to be doers of the word, the kind of people that would say, you know what, even when that is difficult for me to reprioritize, even when it's difficult to be a kingdom-thinking kind of person, even when that calling takes me out of what I know and into maybe a mission field that I wasn't expecting... This is part of kingdom living. This is part of discipleship with Christ. It's actually doing the things that he's called. And this is where the adventure actually gets kind of good, to be honest with you. I mean, many of us have grown up in a church experience that's very didactic. It's very head learning. You know, you, you know the right teachings. You know what the scripture says. You've, you've memorized them. You've learned them. But then when you actually begin to put them into practice and respond, I mean, think, think about things like this. Take thought, take, a, take captive every thought. Make it obedient to the cause of Christ. You could hear that for decades, but you start to actually do that, it changes your life. The adventure of, of Christ's calling. So there's a lot of examples. I won't pontificate. I won't run, run around on this. So um, what is the foundation that we're building on? We're moving from understanding to implementation. And if, if this sounds familiar, you're saying, wait, I think there's other scriptures about this. Sure, James chapter 1 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I remember like hearing that for the first time and being like, that's just dumb. Who, who does that, right? It's a metaphor. 
right? I mean, it's literally saying when you look into the mirror of God's word and you see the things that are there and you don't respond accordingly, you are like a person who walks away and forgets who you're called to be, forgets what you're called to look like, forgets that there's a calling for kingdom living and kingdom expansion on your life. Does that make sense? So there's a wonderful invitation that is here, though it is profound, though it is challenging. Interestingly, James goes on to say this. He says, whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You know, this is a wonderful, this is a wonderful invitation that's embedded here. Uh, I gave you this quote from Frederick Buechner a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago now. It is not the objective proof of God's existence that we want, but it is the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle we are really after, and that is also, I think, the miracle that we really get. I believe that embedded in this calling, when Jesus says, I want you to understand what I said, but then I want you to put it in practice. I want you to do it. It's in line with other scriptures as we've seen here today. We, we see this sort of theme, but it's an invitation to say, this is the person that I'm going to commune with. This is the person that is going to get the presence of God because they're displaying a heart that is ready for that presence. Jesus ends his teaching essentially by saying, now put this into practice and you're going to be building on a solid foundation. The second thing I think we see in this wonderful, simple, and yet hauntingly profound account of Jesus' parable is the, the contrast between the temporal and the eternal. So when Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Isn't it interesting, first of all, that there's not a distinction? You know, the wise man doesn't get uh, an absent pass from the storms of life. And the foolish man doesn't either. Um, That's part of life. You know, I think Jesus is basically saying, okay... Life is going to have its storms. There's going to be rain and wind. and Again, it's a metaphor, right? There's going to be storms of life. And when you're building on the rock, you're still going to experience them. So that's why we don't simply say, well, yeah, you know, the blessings of Christ mean we're just going to go through life and it's going to be easy. It's, it's hard following Christ. It's difficult being his disciple. His disciples said that. He said that. To his disciples, right? In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take our, I've overcome the world. So it's, it's part of the life that there's going to be storms. The question is, are we building on a temporal or an eternal sort of foundation? So um, let me lean in just for a moment on this notion of, of, of doing and sort of owning these things. So, several years ago, there was, uh, Benjamin Bloom was an educational psychologist and um, he wrote about this process of learning that starts with awareness and moves to ownership. And that's kind of what you want in learning. You know, you want to be aware of something, but you want to ultimately own. You want to, you want to be able to command that thing. That's what every good teacher is trying to instill in their students is a sense of command over this thing. I know what it is. I know how to implement it or use it. So Benjamin Bloom talks about this awareness and pondering and then valuing, but then he has this, we have it on this little, uh, little slide here, the action behavioral gap. 
And this came to my attention through Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership, which is, which is excellent, by the way. If you get a chance, you should, you should read that if you want to be an emotionally healthy leader. Um, the, the concept is actually pretty easy to understand. There's this gap between uh, in our learning of like we, we sort of get information, but then if it's going to make a difference in our life, if we're going to actually reprioritize or actually own this thing, something has to happen. And, and we see this in practical ways, right? In our, in our health disciplines, you know, has anybody ever said, I'm going to lose 15 pounds? You know, that's like, that's like a, I'm, I'm kind of owning the, the value of that. I want to I lose a little weight or I want to get in shape. I want to do these things. But then why don't we do that? Like, why doesn't that just automatically happen? Because we've got to kind of cross this gap that actually allows us to reprioritize and own the decision. Our study habits, same thing. Our spiritual disciplines, same thing. You know, we'll say, well, I'm going to read the whole Bible by the end of the year. <laughs> you know, I'm going to read the whole Bible by the end of the, the week. I'm going to pray for 12 hours before I go to bed tonight. Um, these are spiritual disciplines. These are spiritually learned kind of things. But just because you value it doesn't mean that you do it, you prioritize it, or that you own it. Well, long before Benjamin Bloom was theorizing about it, or long before Peter Gazer was writing about it, long before they were alive, Jesus was calling us across this gap from understanding to implementation. He's saying, I want you to hear it, I want you to learn it, and then I want you to do it. There is an eternal foundation that Christ is offering us. And in contrast to that, I, think, I mean, I think what he's saying in a very practical way to the church that he loves and to his sons and daughters, to the world that he loves, he's saying this, I want you to learn what it is to build your life on a foundation that is eternal. So there's a solid foundation that I am offering you here. Put these things into practice, and you're going to find that you're building your life on something that is trustworthy. Uh, our culture is full of sandy foundations, right? I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of thoughts and ideologies and, and people sort of trying to do their best to find that solid place. And yet what Jesus is saying is there's a lot of places where you can build your life and not find the desired result of stability uh, or eternity that you desire to see. So I was recently listening to an interview by Carrie Newoff, who's doing really some very good work these days. If you want to look him up, if you can't spell his name, well, just good luck. Good luck. Um, he was interviewing David Kinnaman, who I didn't know, and Tim Keller, who I followed very closely for a lot of years, and they were talking about sort of, sort of misrepresentations of, of identity in our culture today. And so they're throwing around some sort of impressive sounding words like therapeutic individualism and progressive victimization and Christian nationalism, all as examples as kind of distortions of identity that really take us away from or run counter to uh, gospel truth. And, and I guess we would say in our message today, the solid foundation of Jesus' teaching. So, so I actually just want to touch on these for just a moment because I think there's something here for us in just being aware of sandy foundations right in our world. So therapeutic individualism basically says, when I look inside myself, I'm going to find my true north, my, my, my real identity of, of what I need in my life. And that sort of becomes the ultimate pursuit in this, uh, in this kind of thinking. Now, I'm actually a big believer in the understanding of self because I think that's where you can kind of understand your limits. You know what you're called to do, what you're gifted to do, and what you're not gifted to do, etc. But when self becomes the ultimate, by definition, we are heading toward a breakdown in community. 
So this is a big sandy foundation that when we say, you know, I'm just true to self, true to self, true to self. And this is so ingrained in so many different ways. Um, did anybody see the movie Frozen 2? Oh, man, it's such a bad movie. Sorry uh, if you're a big fan. It's just not very well done. Uh, but there, there's such a on-the-nose kind of statement being made. You know, when the lead character, it used to be like when I watched movies growing up, when the lead character was looking for a voice that was sort of telling them where to go or what to do, it was like the, you know, voice of their fathers and mothers and people who have gone before or whatever. Even if it's not a Christian perspective, it's kind of like, okay, you know, something from the outside speaking and directing and guiding. Literally, the plot line is the mysterious voice inside my head is me and the cathartic moment of life transformation is when I step into communion with me you know it's like wow I mean you just can't get much more on the nose than that but when everybody worships me and you worship you I didn't say that right when I worship me and you worship you we're already at odds with one another it's a sandy foundation that doesn't work progressive victimization uh, is essentially just in our, in our modern day the merit of being the minority. You know, when my suffering is worse than your suffering, I can then say, well, my voice matters more than your voice. And it's actually very counterintuitive to, to a sense of identity that brings health and healing. I'm not suggesting for a moment that there are not important issues embedded in all of these things. It's just when we worship them or make them our foundation, we find them to be very, uh, very faulty. Um, if, if progressive victimization is perhaps the status symbol for the left-leaning, Christian nationalism is probably the status symbol for the right-leaning. It's that, that notion of saying, you know, here is my fusion of American values that says this is what a true American does. And the problem is this, uh, that Christian nationalism will essentially say you need to deny the idols of the current generation. Yeah, we do, by accepting the idols of the previous ones. And we find yet another sandy foundation that really doesn't last. Jesus has already said in his Sermon on the Mount something that helps us understand this. I think a lot of the sandy foundations in our day today spring from a lack of understanding. What are we actually made to live for? What is it that has eternal value? How do we build on the rock and not build all of our hopes on sandy foundations. Well, Jesus said things like this already in his sermon. So this would just be a review if you've read it recently. Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why these other foundations don't work. When I am my own foundation, when my status is my own foundation, when my national allegiance is my own foundation, my heart is rooted with those things. My treasure and my heart belong to God. So how do I actually bridge this gap? So, so, so I'm going to just talk on that, and we're going to go to communion. I'm not going to speak to you a whole lot longer, but, but let me just share this. I think this is important. When we talk about, like, if the goal is getting our mind around that which is eternal... And my heart as your pastor would be to say, whatever your vocation and calling and station in life is, that you would be able to do that from the perspective of saying, I know what it is to build on the rock 
of Christ. That is the kingdom win. Like for me, that, that's a big old check of the box to say, I'm doing my job well if I'm preaching and leading you in that direction. So we're doing some things in coming weeks and months to, to help with that. You know, next week we're going to be starting our prayer encounter prayer time. Uh, Sunday nights, 6.15, so if you've got kids, drop them off at Awana and then come at 6.15. That's why, if you're wondering, why 6.15? We're actually very precise people around here. We were going for 6.17, and I said, that's going to be too late. 6.13 didn't feel right, so 6.15. Um, we're going to learn, we're just going to lean into prayer a little bit more. Why? Because that's an eternal value. You know, a, a church and, and, and Christ followers who don't have a grounding in prayer, who don't know how to rebuild the upper room, which is part of our rebuilding series that we talked about, uh, we are never going to see the, the forward kingdom motion that God desires for our lives. So, so lean into prayer. Give us six weeks. Give us a part of that time. If you can come out, come out next week, 6.15, we're going to kick that thing off. Um, next, next series that we're going to be doing, uh, we're talking about church on mission. Because God doesn't build us and rebuild us just to say, looks good. You know what I mean? Like he's got things, Ephesians 2.10, good works in advance set aside for us to do. So we're going to really lean into that. And I'm excited about, about leaning in that direction as well. But it, it really comes down to understanding what is temporary and what's eternal. And we've got to wrestle with those questions a lot. And I think today's a good day to do that. Okay, so last thing we're going to talk about, how do we actually bridge this gap between understanding and behavior? Kind of getting across that that gap, as it were. Um, Jesus' last challenge essentially is to say, like, well, where do you really find your security? And I find this interesting that the people listening, it says verse 28 and 29, when he finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for his teaching, he was teaching as them as one who had authority. So this, this final sort of valid question what does it really mean to build one's life on the solid rock of Christ? We sing songs like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And I say yes, amen, That's, that, is, that is a good place for us to be. That's probably my like go-to hymn. You know, when I think about like what is my theological position regarding my standing in Christ, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Because everything else feels like, and I think is, a sandy foundation. So if I can keep coming back to that and keep learning and allowing the Holy Spirit to help me with that, I think I'm in a good place. How do we get there? There are many of you that are there in that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How did you get to a relationship with Jesus Christ? How did you get to the place of, of actually embracing a walk with him that would lead you sometimes into the unknown, sometimes into what feels unsafe, sometimes what feels sort of not my plan, but his plans. How did you actually get to that thing? And I want to suggest three things because there are other people that are sitting here who aren't there. Other people who are listening to this who would say, I've never been there. So I was just thinking, okay, what would be the practical, not just trying to be churchy, okay, we all build our lives on the rock of Jesus, and we go, well, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that actually mean? look like? So I'm going to give you three things. I think, I think you can run pretty far with these things, not that they're the only things to talk about. Humility, faith, repentance. Humility, faith, repentance. We've just come through this whole series. We've talked about a hundred different things about rebuilding. We're landing. Okay. Humility, faith, repentance. For the believer, 
Many of you are in that category. You say, I believe. Trying to build my life on the rock of Christ. That's me. I'm going after it for you. We are called again and again to check the foundations of our lives in the light of the gospel, right? And as we grow by the grace of God and by his Holy Spirit, we actually have things revealed to us that we, we find, wait a minute, I'm really putting a lot of hope in this thing, and it's actually a sandy foundation, not the rock of Christ. So this is part of maturing. This is part of sanctification. This is part of growing up in Christ. It can be a hard thing to realize that my hope is not built on nothing less than Christ. Sorry for the double negative. But it can also be a joyful reunion with the Savior as we come back to his finished work, we repent of our sin and self-effort and experience the renewal in him again and again. That is a part of following Christ. For the unbeliever, so you're here today and you say, well, I'm, I'm not really in a relationship with Jesus. We have not defined the relationship at this point. Uh, I don't really even perhaps know what that means. A person, when they speak of coming to faith in Christ or having a salvation experience or these kind of words that are, again, rather churchy, but what are we, what are we talking about? We're referring to a person who starts with humility, a great prayer, by the way, no matter who you are, no matter what phase of life, Lord, help me to be humble. It's good. I had a great message on humility, but I'm waiting for a bigger crowd to preach it. Um, Start with humility. It's a good place, right? Lord, help me to be humble. Help me to be humble. Help me to be humble. Like there's, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like that's, like a, that's an actual scriptural statement. It's said in multiple places. God opposes the proud, right? Okay. Gives grace to the humble. So Lord, help me to be humble. In humility, I actually come to a place where I can say I am not the self-sustaining island of perfection, right? That's, that's humility, it's not, it's not who I am. I'm not the self-sustaining island of perfection. That's a good starting place. When we talk about faith, humility, faith, and repentance, we talk about faith, we're talking about Jesus having accomplished things for me that I could never accomplish for myself. So when we preach about his, his, his death and his resurrection, the empty tomb, the promise of heaven, like this is all like, this is his business. This is the stuff that he does in the restorative work over humanity and then invites us to partake of, but we can't fabricate it. If we could, most of us would rather do it on our own, right? But Jesus is saying that, you know, the, the faith piece is saying, I'm trusting Jesus' work. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Like, that's it. The finished work of Jesus. So that's the faith part. The repentance part, this is the part that you have a little work to do in, and I have a little work to do. It's where we acknowledge that the decay of sin is actually a real thing in my life. So like I come to agreement with Jesus' evaluation of my spiritual status. This is, I, I'm not going to preach you into this as a Holy Spirit conviction kind of thing, but the Holy Spirit brings things to your attention that you can no longer deny about your own spiritual status. And it's actually a huge mercy and a huge grace when at the age of 19, like perhaps I've, you, have, you would do and I have done, at the age of 19, I looked in the mirror and I said, I don't like the person that I'm seeing 
I don't like the trajectory of this life. I don't like the person I've become. What's happening? I'm coming to agreement by the conviction of the Holy Spirit with the spiritual prognosis of my life. The decay of sin was very real. It's actually a mercy. It's a grace. It's a good place to be. So humility, faith opens the door to the finished work of Jesus. Repentance, now we respond to Jesus' finished work. And then we receive it. Like, that's what it means to build your life on the rock of Christ. That's what it means to have a foundation that is eternal and is lasting that is true. Is that we receive his finished work. I was thinking to myself, if only there was a good way to illustrate or acknowledge this. That's communion, by the way, so I'm pointing to. And Jesus says to his followers, this is my body broken for you. Eat it. Eat this bread. And remember me when you do this. This is my blood that is poured out for the remission of your sin. Drink this. So, so we have this like multi-sensory, regular experience that actually becomes a bit of a dividing line. I think a really clear dividing line. Because scripture says, if you're not following Christ, don't participate in this. Don't do this. Because you're acknowledging a, a sacrifice that you haven't yet received. you got to receive it. And the beauty is, instead of Scripture saying, like, stay away, stay away, stay away, it's actually saying, come in, come in, come in, come here. This is Jesus' invitation. But every time we remember Christ at communion, we are essentially evaluating, am I building on this finished work or am I not? And the grace of God is so deep and the mercy of God is so good, and the patience of God, my goodness. I mean, think about how impatient you get with your own imperfections or the people that you love or the kids that you're raising. Or, oh, why can't they just get this? God is deeply patient, beautifully patient with us. And he calls us back to remember. So that's what we get to do today. So your invitation, if I've not said it, said it clearly enough, is to say, in humility, I am not a self-sustaining island of perfection. By faith, I remember what Jesus has accomplished for me. In repentance, I acknowledge and come to agreement with his evaluation of my spiritual status, and I receive him today. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm going to pray for you, and then uh, we'll, we'll go to communion and uh, again, if you didn't get your elements earlier or the last time we talked about it, you can make your way to the table even as we pray. Jesus, would you help us?